Hot dog! I'm Joel Volk and welcome to Small BizCast, where I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and explore strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. Sometimes fabulous employees apply for the jobs we're filling, yet they're not the right match for the position. Mistakes like this cost everyone involved, the company, the employees, and probably your customers. Warren Rutherford of the Executive Suite interviews potential employees, professionals, and executives for a living. His job is to find the right person for the right seat. Is finding that right person an art form, a skill we can develop, a little of both? That's what we're going to learn today. Warren, welcome to Small BizCast. Thanks, Joel. Happy to be here. Where are you, first of all? I'm located south of Boston, Massachusetts, on Cape Cod in Hyannis. Wow. Have you always been in the East? Yes. Born and raised in Massachusetts. Actually grew up in Worcester and came down to Cape Cod 30 some odd years ago and decided not to leave. Now, is Worcester one of those uh, cities that's spelled like Worcester? How do you spell it? If you're not from the region, you'll pronounce it that way. If you're, <laughs> if you're from Boston, you'll just say Worcester. Worcester? Okay. Yeah, no R's, please. All right. Yeah. I always figure those are those are pronunciations designed to designate who belongs and who doesn't. <laughs> so. Yeah, and you could say you could uh, have a tough time with it and phonetically try to make it Worcester. Right. Oh, I got it. Okay. All right. Very good. How did, how did you get into the business you're in? What do you do? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, business I'm in, I I bought this company, the Executive Suite, from a dear friend back in 2009. She was looking to retire out to uh, Palm Springs, Palm Desert area with her husband. So I allowed her to do that. And when I purchased the company, it was it was a temp agency serving uh, temp needs all on pretty much all on Cape Cod. Um, how long How long ago was that? She Actually, she founded the company in the mid-1980s. I purchased it from her in 2009. We were booking at that time, April of 2009, probably about 2,000 hours a week. And then, so billing 2,000 hours and the following week, paying 2,000 hours. So the margins were pretty slim. And then the uh, the recession hit us late, but it hit us. And those hours and the billable hours and the people just plummeted. Employers didn't want temps. Temps wanted full-time work. So the two connived to create a search firm that didn't rely on temps any longer. And I was happy as a clam. So since that time, I've been focusing on executive search, principally in the New England area, but more recently in the last couple of years. I'm curious then, so, so so pivoting your business from a temp agency to an executive search firm, that that meant you had to practically rebrand yourself and probably redo everything. How long did that transition take and what was the big challenge? Uh, it's a little bit of a diversion from what I wanted to talk about today, but whenever someone has a pivot like that under a you know, because that's a, they're going to survival mode. It's something that we as entrepreneurs can all learn from. Um, some of my favorite entrepreneurs are people that have amazing pivot stories. And so I'm really curious how this, you know, how you came to the conclusion, this is what you needed to do, how you executed it. And what were the, was there any fallout, any lessons learned that you could share? Sure. I mean, the, the pivot was fairly straightforward. We had a we were a placement company, what they call in the, the placement business, direct hires. I had two staffing consultants and an office manager working for me along with a part-time bookkeeper. And what I did was just 
take the direct placement piece and upgraded it to executive level. Why? Because that's what I love doing. I have more fun placing executives than I would, and not that I wouldn't do them, but professional admin type of positions we've always done up until a couple of years ago, but the executive search piece is where I really get excited. So that was somewhat of a pivot and focus back in 2016. I was finding that the search items that I was getting from clients um, weren't getting fulfilled. So I just downsized the company even more. So, I mean, I'm a large company, people of three, me, myself, and I, and really enjoy, really enjoy doing it that way. Right. Um, I was doing the sales anyway, but you know, if you wanted to talk about a, an interesting pivot, I cut my teeth in municipal city management. I was one of those kids growing up when I delivered the morning paper that I always used to read about the city manager doing this, that, and the other thing. So crazy as it was, I, I grew up wanting to be that, was that. And then after a period of time, a lot of my friends said to me, you know, Warren, I don't know how you work for those folks. And I looked in the mirror one morning and said to my wife, I said, you know, they're right. Um, mm -hmm. But during, so I left that profession. By those uh, folks, you mean the, the city council people who city, yeah, city council. are elected officials, but don't really know what it's like to run the business of the city. Is that what you mean? Yeah, they were my, so they comparably, they were my board of directors. And right. They hired me to be their chief executive. And when my friends talked to me about that, I agreed with them. The nice thing and the, the relationship between then and now is that I really enjoyed recruiting and training department managers. So the executive hiring process was always there for me and I really enjoyed it. So when I came to buy this company and start the executive search practice, it was just a natural. Part of what I did in the process of developing this company was roll in executive coaching, mm -hmm. I'm certified to do, along with some transition planning discussions. So when I say executive search now, it's a combination of recruitment plus coaching plus transition discussions with uh, business owners. So you take a very long-term approach. It sounds like to the relationship you have with the company. How many? How many? How many companies do you serve at a time, or can you serve at a time? Simultaneously, I'd say three very well. Gotcha. Um, if someone pushed me to say I want to go up to five, I'd say to them. It'll be a stretch at the same time. I see. There are overlaps and the overlaps are okay, uh, but I try to avoid more than three. Interesting. Okay. How do you start an interview process? How do you identify the right person? How do you begin your, your process of getting the right person to the right seat? Are there any, for instance, are there any telltales about a person that you look for that, that are either non-starters that they don't have it or you know, want to have if they do have it? No, great question. I start really with the owners and the company developing a, a customer profile, a company profile. Yeah. Uh, where do they want to go? Why do they want, want to get there? And what type of individual do they need? So with that as background, which I work with the business owners on, I then go back and develop a profile for the candidates. The ideal candidate profile is something that I'll then start researching um, online, contacting those candidates and inviting them to apply for the position. So do you actually create, say, an avatar of what the perfect person would be? Yes. 
And how low, although <laughs> I'm reluctant to call it an avatar because that's too high tech for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it is. You knew what I was talking about. So there I you. do. I do. <laughs> so what, what is that? Lips on the screen. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> what does that typically look like? What is, what, what is that? If I'm looking to say, get a technical service manager, do I need to have somebody that's a male or female? Do we go, do we do, we do avatars by gender or? How how do you how do you draw gen, that gen, gen, gender and race ag- agnostic? Right, it doesn't matter. It's the skill sets, and then what I look first at is the skill sets, their their talent history, right. and then beyond the talent history, um, who are they working for? How long have they been there? Mm-hmm. Um, and do they have an interest in applying for a position? Many of them do not. You know, you mentioned technical service manager. I'm I'm primarily looking at C level positions. Okay. So with that, it's you know where are you working now? Where have you been? Where do you want to go? Right. You know, if you're currently employed, or have you have an interest in bidding on this particular job? Here's a profile of the position. Here's a profile of the company. It's all confidential, including the conversation that I have with the the person who may be the applicant or the candidate. And that's very important. I don't, you know, if you were to apply for an executive position and I'm having a conversation with you on the phone, um, it's all confidential. I want to make sure that you feel comfortable speaking with me and that you hold the information up to a certain point uh, about the client company confidential. So I'm not in that first touch discussing and disclosing who the company is and where they're located. So you don't you don't disclose that at that time, but you disclose the industry, the size company, the makeup. Correct. Do you disclose? You mentioned that the the ownership or leadership of the company gives you a synopsis of what they're looking for. Uh, two questions. One is, mm-hmm. do you share that with the applicant? And the second one is, and maybe these are out of order. Of course, how often does the owner or leadership not know the answer to those questions? And how do you get there? So I realize they're two convoluted questions, but I think you get the idea. So I work with, okay. So on the second question, I work with ownership to develop that profile for them. Oftentimes they don't have it. And I want to make sure that they're comfortable going forward, uh, developing that. And then with the candidates or the applicants or the people I call on the phone, I'm sharing with them the type of company, the type of interest, the type of profile I'm looking for and the client company's looking for in a candidate and you know it seems as though you as a the potential applicant have that fit let's have a conversation if you have an interest mm-hmm. and at that point it's really a conversation they're not applying for anything and i'm just finding finding out from them if they have that interest i see so how is it a long process well three to four months so usually in the first 30 days it's a combination of researching in having phone conversations, interviewing, getting applicants to file, and then narrowing down after I do preliminary in-depth interviews, narrowing down who I believe the good candidates are, and that can go anywhere from 30 to 45 days. And then after that, I'm giving the candidates talent assessments that I develop specifically for each position. And then during that second month, latter part of that second month, talking to the client about particular candidates I think would be 
suitable for them to interview. And we go through that whole process of selecting the finalists. During that process, I will also do extensive reference and background checks. And by extensive, I, I mean, it's more than, you know, Joel, so-and-so said he worked for you. Is that true or not? Yes right. or no. It's quite in-depth that I'll do credit criminal background checks, sometimes educational checks. I want to make sure they're not falsifying information. I want to make sure before they go in front of the client that they're, they're good. Have you ever come across people that have falsified their resumes or their history, their education? Yes. And how, how, do you, how do you catch them? Are there any good stories? And I assume that, that you're not referring to that guy in Congress right now. What guy in Congress? <laughs> I was talking about uh, Santos. Who, uh... Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's say that they withdraw with dignity. So what does that mean? Help, help me understand what that means. Talk to them about the reference checks I've, I've conducted, the background investigation I've conducted on them mm -hmm. um, on behalf of the client, have a conversation with them and, and indicate to them that they want to continue to move forward and expose their misdeeds, mm -hmm. or they want to just gracefully withdraw and they gracefully withdraw. Gotcha. I you know, I, 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 I'm sorry. I can't get them in a position of losing their current job. Right. Because it's still, you know, at that point, it's all confidential. So I don't, I don't threaten. I don't control. I just have a gentlemanly conversation. I understand. Does it happen often? No. Got it. Not in the world where we live in now where everything can be validated pretty easily, I think. Yeah, Google's a wonderful platform. <laughs> you know, early on, I think it was my second or third episode of Small BizCast, I, I interviewed a fellow who was a CPA. We were talking about different you know, types of business things. He was an interesting guy. But then when I went to validate his credentials for putting it on you know, for, for podcast, I realized he wasn't a CPA. And I went back and listened to my interview a few times and I referred to him and introdu introduced him and he introduced himself and used the word certified public accountant and found out he was an EA, which is fine, but he should have clarified it. And I ended up just scrapping the whole thing. I never, I never put it yeah, out. That, that's wanna... a big distinction in that profession. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I sent him a note saying this is what happened and he never responded to the note. And it was kind of disappointing that, that he would put himself out that way, but people do, it was not hard to validate. And I was really yeah. curious how, you know, he, he has clients, they must, you know, Google them before they check them out. And if they're not sharp, they're, I mean, it's, it's right there. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned that. And, and, and if you look at resumes and I'm sure you have, um, someone will say they, they attended ABC university and, and got a bachelor of arts right, or a master's in business administration. And I've always asked if they just say that, did you get a degree from the university or the college? Right. Well, it's on my it's on my resume. I said I know that, <laughs> but did you get a degree? Right. And you know, usually there's a pause. Oh yeah, absolutely. I said okay. I just want to know. I'm not going to ask you a transcript, but I'm going to follow up. That's why I'm asking. Oh, um, yeah, I don't have a degree. Got it. Okay, I just so when I look at resumes, and it was a lesson I learned long ago is Bachelor of Arts dash degree. Right. It's, it's, right. yeah, it's a distinction that some people don't think twice of. Right. You know, it's interesting. I was, when I was researching our discussion, I found tons of advice on how to interview if you were a potential employee looking for a job. I found okay. almost no information from our side of the desk. 
um, questions that you suggest asking or ways you suggest phrasing things. Um, can you can you shed some light on that? What would you what you know if I'm if I'm interviewing a potential staff person, where do you suggest I start after I have the profile that you described earlier and have so so I have to ask you, are you are you interested in killing my next webinar? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um well, go ahead. And, well, if there's a webinar, why don't you tease it then? That's fine. You can um, I had actually, I had sessions last week on interviewing skills for applicants. And a number of advisors had said, Warren, could you do a webinar, interview skills for employers? And I said, right. sure. So right. that's right in line with your question. There's behavioral competency-based questions. There's the, there's the dumb questions like, uh, Warren, where did you... Uh, you know, what type of animal do you want to be? And then there's the basic questions that we talked about, you know, where did you go to school? Did you get a degree? Are you interested in relocating? Those are the the simple ones. But behavioral questions, you know, what types of individuals do you like working with or not? And so what, um, what are you looking for in those? What kind of answers are you looking for in that case? More often than not, I'm going to get the first response is that's a great question. And I'm thinking to myself, Great. Now answer it. Right. <laughs> because it they don't anticipate it. Number one. So so are you looking, looking for, for are you looking for are you looking for people to be good listeners? And did they answer? Are they answering the question? Because I notice that, too. Sometimes I'll ask a question and and they're not they don't understand the answer. Mm -hmm. So they don't understand the question, I should say. So so therefore, I'm worried that if they're if they're client facing or they're working in teams, that there might be misunderstandings. And so mm -hmm. sometimes I'll ask questions designed just to see if they follow, did they track the question? Yeah. So you're correct. Are they listening? And then, you know, after they say, wow, that's a great question, I hope they pause and then they give me an honest answer. So in all of the questions I ask, I'm expecting an honest answer because mm -hmm. they've listened to it. Very rarely will I get, I don't understand the question, but if they do, I'll ask it again. I won't rephrase it. You won't I'll rephrase it. No, I'll just stay silent. If you rephrase it, you may change the meaning of the question itself. I so see. A lot of not so much behavioral questions, but value-based questions, competency questions related to the position. What's um, a good what's a good value-based question to ask? What do you, you know, given given the opportunity, would you prefer to lead or follow? Hmm. And then you're gonna get as the person. Is the person a leader, a follower? Are they political? Then you can ask economic type of questions, not so much related to how much money they can earn, but related to how much the business they believe they can grow the business financially. Mm -hmm. So if I give if I give you the opportunity to take this position over and the company is earning $100 million now, based on some other background information I provide. What steps would you take to increase revenues and bottom line and gross profit? Small BizCast is proud to support Fit for the Cause. Fit for the Cause is the leading organization in fitness for low income and special needs communities. Founded in response to the national health crises, Fit for the Cause has used licensed and COVID conscious trainers to keep their members active even during the pandemic. 
Offering physical training, nutrition, and a variety of classes, members benefit from the same resources given to Special Olympic athletes. So stay active now by going to www.fitforthecause.org. That's fit, the numeral four, thecause.org. Welcome to our new sponsor, Jorgensen HR. Jorgensen HR believes that an employer's workforce is the single key to customer satisfaction, reputation growth, profitability, and the ultimate success of the company. Jorgensen HR works to ensure that employers are in compliance with federal, state, and local HR laws and helps assist them with almost everything else HR. Driven by passion and guided by expertise, Jorgensen HR. Please remember to mention Small BizCast when you call 661-600-2070 or visit them online at jorgensenhr.com. If you know of anyone who feels lonely on their way to the top, I can help. Hot Dog Business Growth is for companies of all sizes. For people new to business, we offer the Pay It Forward Roundtable, a monthly half-day panel discussion with your peers, coupled with one-to-one private counseling with me. This is super affordable and the best OJT you'll ever get as you learn to grow your business. For the more seasoned, Hot Dog Business Growth offers counseling for leadership and teams. We offer sales strategies and team synergy, as well as customer service assessments and training. Our decades of business experience is on tap for you and your team. Schedule your no obligation conversation at hotdogbizgrowth.com. So going back to the answer, whether I, or the answer when you asked if they're a leader, like if they prefer to lead or follow, mm-hmm. when you have the profile that you've developed in advance, answering that question one way or the other may may either move them to the next step or eliminate them at that point, correct? Because the the model, oh, absolutely. The model yeah. or the avatar may want a leader and they say, I prefer to follow, and that might be the end of the conversation. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. So, and in addition to the model of the avatar, I've developed a uh, psychometric instrument that's measuring their behavioral preferences, so their personality, right. their motivators and values, what get them up in the morning, and then how they think and make decisions. And how that all matches up to the position I'm recruiting for. So they've already taken that assessment. I'm having an interview with them. And they don't know whether or not at that point they're matching up to the profile or not. I just want to see how they conduct themselves as an individual. So Mm -hmm. listening skills are key. How they communicate and respond to the questions. And then follow up with the questions themselves with questions. Right. And so, so they're having a so conversation. The, so the quality of their questions is really important to the conversation as well. It tells you whether they're engaged. Sometimes it'll tell you whether they've listened or not, because they may ask you a question that you've already posited by the fact that you asked a, a different question earlier. That's yeah. So, great point. So you're yeah, looking, are point. you looking for those types of relationship r- relational responses? Yes, because if they're going to be running a company mm-hmm. at a C level they need to be able to have that comfort level and having a conversation at a high level. And all of the questions I'm going to be asking them are fairly high level. Now, do you tend to interview in person using Zoom or anything like that? Or how do you tend to to conduct your interviews? Well, Zoom, Medium, WebEx, Teams, or in person if it's a regional type of uh, interview. Right. I would say over the past several years, including, well, because of COVID, most of it's uh, moved online. And are you able online to be able to tell a person's ability to uh, 
you know, their body language. Can you get the cues that you are looking for? Pretty much. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you can. Part of what I, I look for also is a good internet connection. So how serious, how serious are you in participating in this interview? If right. you're in a dark room, uh, the internet bleeps on and off. Mm -hmm. And after 10 minutes, I'll say, Joel, I, I, I'd really like to interview you, but it doesn't sound as though you're interested in talking about the position because your connection stinks. I'm being a little bit based uh, and I can't see you. So tell me if you're interested. If you are, then let's set up a time when you have a really good connection and we can conduct a, a very good interview. And I, you know, and then I'll leave it to them to, to give me an honest response. Mm -hmm. I see. Um, are there any common mistakes that employers make? Oh, gosh. The questions, you know, so fair employment practice violations, discrimination violations, right. um, questions you just don't ask. So that's where you get to coach and talk with the employer, uh, depending on who's in their room, mm -hmm. uh, who's advising them. You know, there are just some questions you can't ask and shouldn't ask. Right. that are poor taste or illegal. So right. I go over that with them. You, so you coach the employers before you meet the employers meet the candidate. Yeah, that's why. Absolutely. That's why I've been encouraged to put a seminar on for sure. interview questions for employers. Right. <laughs> you know, you hit the nail on the head on that one. So do you have the details now of when that seminar will be? Or uh, I'd love to be able to make sure our listeners can access it if possible. Unfortunately, not yet. When they when folks told me I I should be doing it, I said okay, but it'll it'll take me a little <laughs> month or so. But I will definitely let you know. Okay, so in the show notes, I'm going to have your email address and your website. Okay, so people can if they're interested send you a note, and then when you're ready, you can respond by adding them to that list. Will that Excellent. Work? Yeah, yeah, Thank I'll you. I'll probably be among them as well. One of the mistakes that I've when I'm working with employers and we bring on people is they don't have a plan for once the person's brought on. And so one of the things that I do on a regular basis is create a calendar of milestones. The first week, the first month, the first three months, the first six months, first year. Mm -hmm. And give because I want people who are self-starters and leaders themselves, but I also want them to know how how well they'll be how they'll be judged, the meters in which they'll be measured. And so that is that unique or is that how I, I haven't seen it, I've never seen anybody do it, but 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 me, when I owned my company and then the clients I now work with, I help them put those together. Um, it was something that I came up with a long time ago because I'm very much a delegator. I don't want to micromanage right. anybody. And I was bringing it's, people that were not C-level. They were you know, below C-level and I wanted them to know, you know, have direction that I didn't have to stop and start and give to them. I wanted them just to have it. So it's not unique or unusual. It's It's just a matter of that whole onboarding process, oftentimes I'll need to work with employers to make sure it's it's working mm -hmm. for them. Um, you know, I've, I've got a, a uh, client now where the onboarding process was very extensive. Uh, however, what they see as onboarding and what the um, person they hired as on onboarding is is a little bit different. And so sometimes you have those disconnects. Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's culture. Sometimes it's the role that the individuals are, are fulfilling. Um, and then within the corporation itself, the business itself, 
You may find conflicts or differences of opinion as to what the onboarding process should be and what it actually is. And so sometimes those differences of opinion get transmitted inconsistently down to the person they hire. Um, right. So it is, it, you know, I think from your perspective, it's, it makes a lot of sense to lay what that onboarding process is over time so that both parties can agree to it, understand it, and then come back to it, revise it as necessary. So when I'm building an onboarding schedule, I always involve the people who are the other employees. I always involve them to get their to get their two cents on what I'm missing. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. oftentimes I'm detached from the actual job itself by the fact that I don't really work there. They're clients of mine, and so okay. I want I want to make sure that the people that actually work there look at it and know that what the process is and what the what the what the what the fail safes would be if they um, are able to get them. Um, I also mm-hmm. find that when you show that onboarding schedule, it's also and get the feedback from the the new employee, they teach you a lot also, which helps you for the next time around as well. So um, I think I think it's a very valuable tool to always be in development. It's always it's a dynamic document, though. It never it always changes. It's going to it's just never stands still. It's one of those things that you have to constantly look at and tweak if you're bringing people on. Question for you in in doing that for clients. Is it unusual for them to have that developed and I've never worked with anybody that had one developed uh, with the exception of one. And um, it was, you know, sadly outdated. So by the time the new person, you know, came on board, it was probably useless, but it was a good framework. It was a good framework for me in terms of understanding their overall process. I wouldn't, it wasn't, it was helpful for me to help develop it outward, Mm -hmm. but they were very much had not been updated in quite some time. And it, and it, and it showed. Okay. And what I find Joel is when the, the client company has a, a good human resources function and department. Those onboarding processes are fairly way, well laid out. The HR ex- experts want it done mm-hmm. and expect it to be done because they understand that at the end of a, a reporting period, yeah. they're going to be asked to work with the individual's manager or executive to evaluate that person. So they want objectivity in that, that onboarding process as well. Where I find that it's not in place or present is when the the client company does not have vibrant HR presence. Right. A lot of the companies I'm working with are smaller companies. They don't have a in-house HR. They'll they'll outsource it to you know one of our. We have a sponsor that's an HR company. I refer them quite a bit whenever I can. And okay. um, and they but but typically we're t- talking about smaller you know smaller operations seventy five employees are fewer so they really can't afford a full-time hr person or hr manager and it's really up to the to the leadership themselves to put it together over time sense yeah. right right okay. sounds like so sounds like you work primarily with larger companies then. no I'll, I'll work with companies that are say 50 employees and up okay oh you do okay yeah right. oh yeah yeah so should we do some role playing if you'd like yeah 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 i'd be curious about that one so uh, let me tackle that question Okay, so Joel, please describe your learning ability for me. Sure, I'm I'm a pretty intuitive person. I could pick up things fairly well from when I'm talking with individuals. But my real ability, I'm I'm a very visual person, but I'm also probably equally audio. I'm one of those people that's that listens well and sees and observes at the same time. So that's typically been what I uh, how I've seen my own ability to learn with time. 
Okay. Uh, ready for another follow-up question? Please. So do people generally regard you as one who diligently pursues every detail? Or do you tend to be more broad brush? And could you explain? I think it depends on the situation. If it's a very important thing, I'm very detail-oriented. I'm probably a little OCD. I want to make sure that, figuratively speaking, there's a place for everything and everything in its place. On the other hand, I don't like to waste time on minutia when it's not important. If, if okay. goal-oriented, so I want to make sure the goal gets done. And I try not to let the little things act as speed bumps or obstacles. Great. And really one last question. What's the toughest decision you've ever made and why was it so difficult? I had to fire my best friend once. It was a person that I was loyal to. I don't think I would have been in business long without them. Early in my career, they were instrumental to my success. But mm. as time went on, we outgrew them, their ability to help us. And it was one of the most difficult decisions I made. I was luckily able to maintain my friendship with the person, but it's never been quite the same. But I know mm -hmm. professionally it was the right thing to do. And I hope that he realizes that too. And you have respect for each other. I would absolutely, absolutely. One of the most honorable people I've ever met. So in, in those three questions, you didn't have to think a lot about them. It came right off the top of your head. Right. My reaction is very honest. And, and so that's what I look for. Sometimes someone will say, mm, what do you mean by that? Well, take it at face value. And, right. and you did, and, and you were responding honestly. Sometimes those types of questions, you know, I look at your intellectual capabilities. So the first question was on your intelligence. I could have asked you what sort of grades did you get in school? And you said you'd probably say you don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> I would. I would. I don't think I'd know. I don't think I gave a damn. So I didn't try that hard. <laughs> so then I asked you an analytical yeah. question and a decision-making right. question. Um, right. And those are just three types, but depending on the, the position I can go through, gosh, I, I probably several hundred different questions that I could right. put together in the interview format. And I'll do those myself in a, in a fairly detailed one, one and a half hour pre-screening. Uh, right. But then I'll work with the ownership to get them to select questions. And part of the ownership is interview is, is it one person or is it a team? Right. Sometimes, sometimes the owners will say, well, I don't feel comfortable doing a group interview. And then the candidates will go, it's going to be a group interview. They'll say, yeah, you're getting interviewed by the executive team. Are you okay? No, no, I'm not okay with that. Right. Well, then let's part friends. Right. Because you're going to be working with these people on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. And you have to want them as much as they want you. So if now, you're not prepared to do it now, let's let's go. And so if they at that point, if they pivot and go, okay, you know what, I can I can step up to this. Is that a non-starter for you, or do you uh, do you give them that you know that mulligan? I give them I give them the opportunity to pause and think it over, mm -hmm. and then I'm going to communicate to the client that they had a pause. And do you I really see. want to interview this person? No, I'm and I've <laughs> I've had clients say. No, we'll pass on them. Really? Okay. You know, because I, I, I've got that obligation to you as the client. Sure. To inform you on all my discussions with candidates. Right. And, and that's one, you know, and I'll say, I'll say to the candidate, well, let me get back to you. I have to talk to my client first. Okay, that's fine. And they realize they shot themselves in the foot. Right. So they're not going to be surprised when I come back and say, we're passing. 
Right, right. And how do you how do you let them know? Do you just send them a dear John letter or do you no pick... phone call or Zoom? I see. These days I do a Zoom interview with them. Right. Um, they're not happy that they don't get the job, but they understand. Mm -hmm. And and you know, at that level, executive level, it's highly competitive, but it's also I may not find this job for you, but you may be right for another job. Right. So I want to, if I'm doing a, a video interview closeout with them, I want to see their facial reactions. You know, some I've had, well, I was just testing the waters anyway. And <laughs> our response is great. Well, you know what? You poisoned them. So good luck. Yeah, right, right. That's <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I find, you know, I find the interview process, uh, I, I when we did those three questions together, and I thought that found they were pretty straightforward, and I was comfortable with them. But I could see myself if that was an hour and a half long feeling uncomfortable. That's, that's a long time to be on the hot seat. And uh, I'd be, I'd be, be interesting to see how that would feel. I've never been interviewed like that. So I have no idea. <laughs> it seems like you've got a lot of credentials behind what you do. Have you, you bought the company and then got educated? Or you were educated and then bought the company? I'm curious how that's worked. So I, I was educated previously and a lot of it, a lot of it is the school of hard knocks self-taught. Right. So what can you do? What shouldn't you do? You know, you mentioned intuition and gut earlier. A lot of that carries through with me. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a, a gut sense of whether someone's going to be right. And then I'll back it up with the data, the data from the interview, the data from the psychometric assessments. And just that feel. Um, and and I think with remote video interviewing, it's a little bit more of a challenge, but you can still cha change the dynamic of the interview uh, by listening well, mm -hmm. by li really by listening well, and then looking at their body language, what they're doing, what they're not doing. Sure. Um, and... I'm not afraid to conduct follow-up interviews over the phone or be by video. And when it comes to final interviews, they're going to be in person. Although this past, this past year, a, uh, a company in the UK interviewed with me on the, on the video, they do teams and candidates in LA. So, Just, you know, think that was, about a you know, two, it was, that was a practical way to do it when they're so far apart. Yeah, and it you know eight hour time difference, but both parties did very well, good, very comfortable, very natural, mm -hmm. um, and it worked very well. And you know they hired one of the candidates, so it's the platform works as long as the platform's reliable. So you know we had one candidate who had a horrible internet connection, and I have to say that candidate probably shot themselves in the foot because they didn't have it a, a good reliable connection. And we talked about that in the uh, debriefing that I had with the candidate. I see. And they acknowledged that, you know, and they said, I should have been hardwired, huh? And I said, yeah, we, we talked about that. Right. I know you said, and I said, I suggested it strongly, which means please do. Right. Which, 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 by the way, I mean, it seems like every part of the communication is, is part of the interview. And that's oh, what, is. that's what I think people tend not to understand. I, I once, uh, I once interviewed somebody and as they were saying goodbye, they got a call from their, their, I believe their wife. And they sort of had this little mini spat on the way out the door. And, 
And, you know, the interview was over. Ouch. And then he's, you know, basically irritated that his wife bothered him while he was during the interview. I told you I was being interviewed. And he just, you could see his level of irritation was an easy and low trigger. It was not. Yeah. It was, you know, and then that took him from someone who was in the, he was probably not an A in the first place. He was probably a B, but he took mm -hmm. him from a B mm -hmm. and put him to a C or a D in my book. That's um, rough. And yeah, and, and later on, I I shared with them that that you know you're a hundred percent of my experience with you is part of the interview, not not just mm -hmm. that. And and he it was like a new thought to him, which should be indicated enough that maybe this isn't the right candidate. Yeah, <laughs> but it was interesting. I remember that very clearly. <laughs> Great well, example. Thank you, Warren. I really enjoyed this. Hope. My listeners did too. Um, in the uh, show notes will be your email and your website. But if you'd like to give that now, you're welcome to. And we will uh, look forward to an announcement of your uh, webinar on hiring techniques. So please go ahead. What's your how's the best? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Best way to get a hold of me is uh, my email wjr at theexecutivesuite.com. All the words spelled out. Well, they can go on my website uh, theexecutivesuite.com, and there's a uh, contact us button that they can press and subscribe to me and get a message right out to me immediately. Or they could call at 508-778-7700. Um, that's a area code and local phone. Very good. Well, thank you again. Appreciate your wealth of knowledge and your time today. And I think everybody will find this extremely helpful. Thanks, Joel, for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Hey, another good episode of Small BizCast in the can. Hey, listeners, you do make a difference. You make a difference when you share the episodes on Facebook or other social media. You make a difference when you give us reviews wherever you get your podcasts. And you make a difference when you email me your suggestions and ideas, comments, and notes to jv at jovopro.com. You also make a difference when you support our sponsors. And I really encourage everybody to do so. Jorgensen HR hot dog business growth, and SoCal Labrador Retriever Rescue, all of which can be found on the show notes. Thanks a million. Until next time, hot dog, it's a wonderful life.